She's yeah, an articulate. Yeah. Matriculate. Meticulous. Meticulate. Meticulate. <laughs> okay, so articulate means when you can speak really well. And matriculate is when you graduate. And meticulous is like when you have to do something like building meticulous. a clock. Yeah. yeah. She was meticulous. <laughs> I googled it and that's an example. I know, I she was... And she was articulate and she did and she matriculate. Did matriculate a lot. <laughs> Wait, what's matriculate? I'm going to double check that before we put that in. To comment. matriculate is to be enrolled. Yeah. You don't have to graduate. So we're matric- she only graduated twice. Yeah. Only twice. <laughs> Welcome back to the Fierce Females of History podcast, where we tell the stories of women from history that you should know about. I'm Lucy. I'm Erin. <laughs> oh, no. We're all Erin today. <laughs> we never decide what order we're going in. <laughs> Who are you? You're I'm, Lucy. I'm Lucy. I'm Erin. I'm Tulsa. Finally got to say my name. <laughs> and uh, before we start today's episode, just a little, firstly, a thank you to one of our awesome followers on Instagram. From the Netherlands. Yes, she was from mm. the Netherlands. She pointed out a mistake on our part, I would say, that we made in episode 11 about Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera. And we talked about these two amazing women, trans right activists. We said a phrase which isn't the right thing to say. So what we said was they were born a boy. What we should have said was they were assigned male at birth. Yes. Yep. So it was a mistake on our part. It can cause offence to trans people. So sorry for that. I'm glad it's been brought to our attention. Now we get to bring it to your attention as well. And hopefully that we can all learn from it. And we welcome messages like that. We welcome any messages. So thank you for reaching out. Yeah, I know. Talk to us. Please. (laughs) Just a warning for this episode that it does discuss the topic of abortion. So obviously pretty big news in the world of feminists and equality and just all around awesome people this week. Of course, I'm talking about the death of the legend the one and only notorious RBG Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Horrible news. I know. Yeah. But God, she had a good life. Yeah. And she's done so much. Yeah. Legacy is putting it lightly. In terms of her legacy, I just finished watching the um, the documentary, which is mm-hmm. based on her book, called, which was on ABC iView for Australia. And it's called The Notorious RBG. Amazing. Or just RBG. It might even just be called. And um, – there's some really cool moments in it with her granddaughter who is also studying law and she was, there's a clip of them together and she was saying, cause obviously Ruth went to Harvard and then her granddaughter went to Harvard mm-hmm. and her granddaughter was saying, she got into Harvard, Harvard law. What? Like it's hard. <laughs> it's hard. I object. No. So she was showing her her graduation photos and she was saying to Ruth, she graduated on the 200th anniversary of Harvard Law. Right. And it was the first class that was 50% male and 50% <gasps> female. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, wow. But also it took 200 years to get to it. But big deal. So that's pretty awesome. So cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool milestone. So speaking of Harvard and amazing Ruth, we will start there actually. Um, and I think it's pretty important because a lot of things happened during her time at Harvard that kind of really were pivotal in shaping the whole purpose behind her career and everything that she did. As we know today, she she passed away on the 18th of September at the age of 87 after a battle with cancer. And she was obviously known as the United, now former United States Supreme Court judge. She was a trailblazer. She was a fighter of equality who became a pop culture icon. Mm-hmm. Notorious. Yeah. RBG. Okay. So all the way back to 1956, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. She's in her first year at Harvard Law School. 
she was sent to the Lamont section of the Widener Library in the old periodical room to check a citation out. It was late at night and she she had a one-year-old daughter at home at the time as well. Huh. And so she just wanted to quickly go in there, check the citation, get the hell out of there. And she got to the library and there was a man at the door, like a, a faculty of the university, and he stopped her in her tracks and he said, you can't, sorry, you can't come in here. And she said, why not? I'll only be quick in and out, in a jiffy. And he said, well, because you're a female. Uh. And she said, I don't understand. Harvard is open to women now. You know, this library is open to women. And he said, no, sorry, we keep this room, this specific room uh, symbolically closed to women. Oh, it's symbolically what? closed to mm-hmm. women. And she was like, I didn't know what to do. Like this, this staff faculty was just saying no. And I like, and she's known as being someone that's very quiet. She's timid. She's always been softly spoken, softly spoken. She's a, she's a quiet achiever. She's not, she was taught to, by her parents not to argue. So she just was, she just was like, oh, okay, cool. Awesome. What's Cheers the for that. symbol? Misogyny? Yeah. It's the misogyny symbol. Yeah. Sounds I don't like know. it. Um, she actually told this story. I think it's a symbol of very like delicate masculinity. Oh yeah. If you need, like, you just like we just we just need this one room. Yeah. Just let us like, <laughs> have this one thing. Just this one we thing. have everything else, but we just want this one. Room. I just want this one room. <laughs> just this one. The best part much. is though that she actually told this exact story during her testimony in 1993 <laughs> when she was running as the candidate for U.S. Supreme Court. Amazing. So just like come full circle shall we um she also spoke to the which was to the senate judiciary committee she also told them of all the other some other indignities of her time there she was there between 1956 and 1958 as we know great time for women cute little dresses though oh great dresses yeah um so (laughs) when she first began her studies at harvard first of all she was among nine women in a class of 552 men. Oh, yeah. Macaroni. Okay. So go, going back to what I said about her granddaughter graduating 50-50. Nine to 500 and... 500, 552 men. Yep. Um, yeah, I know. At the time, the dean, Dean Griswold, um, of course his name is Dean Griswold, was <laughs> invited, had invited these nine women to a dinner. Yep. And they were all accompanied by a man of the faculty, just kind of like a kind of like a chaperone kind of thing i don't know whatever it's kind of like oh you know networking event i'm sure they branded it as right um and during the dinner the dean asked each woman to stand up and explain why they were there and occupying the seat of a man oh that's nice yeah now she has she had said that the dean was he meant well by it obviously it was incredibly offensive (laughs) <laughs> to do in the first place but his reasoning for it was that he was convincing the faculty members like he wanted them to get up and convince the faculty members why they were there yeah but it's still wrong in every sense why of the matter the fuck isn't the faculty like backing these women and be like we're so glad you're here thank you but for taking 1958. this seat but also there's already 552 seats taken up by men yeah, my language. Was that, look, this out. triggered this hashtag triggered ruth i'm hashtag triggered um, um <laughs> yeah you just like stood up and sat back down <laughs> like you guys wouldn't have seen that but she was like stumping her feet <laughs> she's now pacing now wouldn't survive this time in history no. <laughs> they would have arced up being shot and being put sign in of eight. the times as we always say oh, yo, yo, yo. she also said that female guests weren't invited to the harvard law review bank I'll get back to that later, but she made it onto the Harvard Law Review, which was a big deal. She wanted to take her mother-in-law 
and but she wasn't allowed to because she's a woman. Women also weren't given any space in Lord School dormitories. So Where did they sleep? They had to just find. Oh find God! Not that part of the library. No, obviously well, not that restricted room. Section. <laughs> Um, Ruth told the committee that these experiences were what led her to spend much of her career fighting to break down legal barriers to the advancement of women in society. Yes, Quinn. Can you blame her? Okay, so back to the beginning. Born Joan Ruth Bader, or badass, in 1993 in Brooklyn, New York City. Brooklyn. She went on to become known as... <laughs> you do that every time you tell the story. New York. I don't know. I think it was in May West episode. You go, Brooklyn. <laughs> but it goes with the side mouth. It was like a little, little gesture. Like Brooklyn. <laughs> She went on to become known as Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a.k.a. the Notorious RBG. Yeah. And she actually said when she was asked, do you care that you're being compared to, obviously, the Notorious B.I.G., the, the rapper and artist? Mm-hmm. She said, of course not. We have so much in common. It's exactly right because Notorious B.I.G. and I had something in common. You did? What? We were both born and bred in Brooklyn, New York. Her parents, Celia and Nathan, were Jewish and she became an only child when her older sister Marilyn, unfortunately, died of meningitis Mm. when she was six. Um, But this is really cute. Her sister, before she passed away, she nicknamed uh, Ruth Kiki because she was a kicking baby. She was very (laughs) kicky. So she was always a fighter. She came out kicking. (laughs) She loved or she, she also said that when she was a kid, she was... One of the boys, she loved climbing things, you know, running around. Yeah. Um, her parents, she says her parents always taught her to love learning and to care for people. Um, but sadly, Ruth's mother did pass away when she was 17 after a battle with cancer. Mm. Um, and a lot of people, obviously, there's lots of quotes that can be attributed to Ruth, which was, we did a post of lots of quotes because she just couldn't find one. Yeah. She's just yeah. one of the most, if not the most quotable legends mm-hmm. in feminist history um and one of the popular ones is some advice that her mother gave her and it was two lessons to be a lady don't be distracted by emotions like anger envy resentment these just sap energy and waste time and the other was to be independent yes she hoped i would meet prince charming and live happily ever after but she stress the importance of being able to uh, manage on my own. And she did just that. She met her husband, Marty Martin, at 18 when they were both studying at Cornell University. And she always said that he was a man who supported her from the get-go and he truly, truly did. Mm. She says that there was four men to every woman at Cornell. So parents love sending their daughters there. And she said, if, if I didn't find a man there, she was hopeless. Cornell was a place for girls to go because there were four men to every woman. So <laughs> you were the mother of a daughter. That's why you sent your daughter if you could because she could find her man. She also said that she never did a repeat date until she met Marty. Oh, she did oh. one date. So she'd yeah. only date them once and be like, nah, next. Oh, my God, Thank I you, love her. next. Yep. Um, and then she met Marty, fell in love. It was the first boy, she says, that ever cared that she had a brain. Um, and most Marty. guys in the 50s didn't. And how pathetic. She, yeah, and she said that a lot of women at the time would suppress how smart they were, but Marty was so comfortable with himself and celebrated her brain so much that he was just – he honestly – was her biggest cheerleader from the beginning. The remarkable thing was Marty cared that I had a brain. You know, most guys really were not interested in whether a girl could think. So that was a whole new and wonderful, wonderful thing for me. And it's so awesome. That's great. All throughout her career. 
comes back and he's just like, my girl, <laughs> my girl, Ruth. I'll beat you. Yep. It's so funny. I love their little um, anecdotes. Okay. So just, uh, they graduated Cornell. He was a year or two ahead of her at school. Um, they married and he went to Harvard to mm-hmm. study law in 1950 and she followed him in 1956. And at that time they had their 14 month old daughter named Jane. Cute. So both studying law while having a kid. Yep. Wow. Yep. It's big. Yep. yep. I mean, I guess and it takes a long time to study law, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. And also, um, obviously, it was controversial that a woman was going to study law. And her family was like, why are you bothering? And they were like, all right, well, give it a shot, you know. <laughs> See how you go. <laughs> and it was quite funny because a lot of the w- things that were set up in Harvard University were for the men studying law and the wives of the men studying law. Mm-hmm. And um, she obviously fell in both brackets. So it was really interesting how she navigated that. She was part of the Law Society for the Wives Club, inverted commas. And she basically just helped them because they were like, we don't know how to support them. You know, they're always studying all the time. So she went in there and like helped them, like gave them advice. And like, that's nice. And she was also a mother as well. I feel like this sounds like, you know how Julia Gillard was obviously the Prime Minister for Australia Mm -hmm. and then no one like... A lot of conservative people and all the media couldn't wrap their head around the fact that her husband was a hairdresser. Yes. Yeah. And they're like, but, her but, boyfriend. But, but, Wasn't it a boyfriend? A boyfriend sorry, yeah. Like, they're like, but, 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 but you're the prime minister, but you, vagina. And he's, but penis, but he's a hairdresser. And they're like, they couldn't. Like, oh, yeah. No. And then there was no baby. And they were just they're like, like what? Ah! Exactly. <laughs> it was, what do we do with our hands? In her second year, she makes the Harvard Law Review, which is, for those who don't know, no <laughs> um, it's an independent student group at Harvard Law School that, like, publish this law review. Mm. So it's kind of like a reference back. Not a dictionary, but like a... Reference point. A reference point, but for law. So where they're at, what they've been And studying. what they're achieving and what, yeah. It's like a publication for lawyers. Yeah. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Harvard Law. and to make that cut for the harvard law review you had to be in the top 25 percent that's that's the that's the elwood's me moment (laughs) yeah for reference for pop culture reference um and my favorite part is that marty actually went around and told everybody that she was going to make it into the harvard (laughs) law review i love this guy before she even made it and everyone was like oh you're a bit braggy mate and he's like "Mm." Only know what I know. Sadly, he got cancer three years into law school. So he got really sick. And so I think I think he was only in class for maybe, oh, I'd say 10, 20% of the, the year or, or whatever, yeah. the time period that he was sick. And Ruth rallied around him, rallied around his classmates and organised his classmates to take notes for him. So he'd like, she'd like assign a class <laughs> for them to take I notes for him. Then... After doing all her work, she would get all of his classmates to give her the notes. She'd write out the notes for him mm. so that he could still study so that he wouldn't fall behind. And and then also looking after the kid. Wow. Also looking after Jane, who was two around that time. That's Terrible no. twos. I know. She's oh a fr- freaking wonder woman. Yeah. I don't understand people the same hours in the day that I have. I get so much done and I get home and I'm like, oh, no time to do anything, but I've got hours. And she's like doing two times the amount Literally, of Literally, they, they, they say in the doco, they're like, this is when she learned to just burn the candle at both ends. And she oh, pretty yeah, much never stopped. Yeah. 16 ends, seriously. Marty recovered and graduated. Oh, yeah. And he managed to actually top 
be among the top in his class despite awesome. only being there for a very short amount of time. That's amazing. Sick. That's so cool. So he graduated obviously before Ruth and he got a job in New York, in a firm in New York. And Ruth had only just finished her second year but decided to transfer to Columbia University in New York mm-hmm. to obviously be with him, yeah. which meant that she didn't actually graduate with a degree from Harvard because she finished her studies oh, wow. in at Columbia. Columbia. Yeah, which is still when awesome. You at Columbia, I just imagine – the country of Columbia, but that's another <laughs> university. No, Columbia University. <laughs> um, so there she also became a member of the Columbia Law Review and thus became the first woman to be on the two major law reviews. Yeah. Wow. So cool. thank you, Marty, for transferring. She ended up graduating tied first in her class in 1959 and surprise, surprise, no law firm would employ her because vagina. Yeah. Really? Yep, really, really. Just this, keep getting in the way. Yep, this, again, this came despite strong recommendations from her law professors at Harvard and Columbia, despite coming tied first at the top of her class. What was mm. the, Did they give a reason? Did they just say, oh, no, couldn't possibly, sorry, very busy, couldn't. No, literally, they said she's a female. That's literally all. Yes, that. because one of her professors, so one of her Harvard professors, approached one of the law firms that she went for a job for and said, are you stupid? She's a genius. <laughs> And they said, she's a woman. He said, you're an idiot. Then uh, one of her Columbia professors then approached uh, a law f- one of the law firms that, and he said to them, I will never recommend a Columbia student again unless you give her a chance. And they said, yes. Wow. And they said, if she doesn't turn out, I'll replace her. But I'm telling you, Ruth's got it in her and she was there for like two years before she got another job. Wow. Yep. So. Oh, my goodness. People knew she had a lot of bloody potential. And, of course, this is a time when women didn't have any position in law across the country. Yeah. Um, Some of these laws, shall we dabble in them? The husband is the master of the community. He shall choose where the family will live and the woman is obliged to follow him. Okay. Employers in most states. so just to – I'm sorry, just to flesh that a bit. That means let's say they've got family and things. They get moved to the other side of the country. They can't say anything away from their support networks, away from everything. Yes. Yes. No, no state in it at all. No, that's, this is the law at the time. This is, I'm just highlighting that women were not rated at this point in time. Um, employers in most states can legally fire a woman for being pregnant. That's a classic one, isn't it? Yeah. Banks can Glad require... Glad we got that one sorted out. Oh. <laughs> Bloody hell. Banks can require a woman applying for credit to have her husband co-sign. That still happens. And marital rape is generally not prosecuted. And that still happens. Yep. Cue, the women's Sorry to be so movement. depressing. I know, right? Well, this is the part where the women's rights movement montage happens. Yeah, okay, thank God. <laughs> Girl power. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ruth wasn't ever one to march, though. She was always one to make changes on paper and teach change. And like I said, eventually she did get a job in the law firm, thanks to the help of that Columbia professor. And she worked as a research associate as well between 1961 and 1963, where she did her big deep dive on issues of gender inequality. Obviously, she mm-hmm. was like, okay. If this is just my experience alone, imagine, just imagine. And obviously the more that she's getting into the law world, she's starting to learn more and more how much inequality there is. That's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the inequality that was already there. Wow. And she was also inspired. So this is when she did lots of research and she was actually inspired by Sweden where women were at that point 20 to 25% of all law students. Wow. And one of the judges over there who she was studying was still working whilst eight months pregnant. (gasps) She's like, hello, evidence is here. It can happen. Wow. Side note, Swedish people descended from the Vikings who were one of the most 
feminist people early on. Boom. So she then became a professor in 1963 where she created classes on women's rights and she started to teach more about where she could get it in. She would um, do that. She also co-founded the Women's Rights Law Reporter, which was the first law journal in the US to focus on women's rights. Mm -hmm. Of course, she worked knowing full well that she was being paid less than her male colleagues, Mm -hmm. the male professors, because she had a husband with a well-paid job. So why would she have to earn bacon? In 1972, she co-founded the Women's Rights Project and in 73 became their general counsel. And here she participated in over 300 gender discrimination cases by 1974. Busy woman. So how, what was that time period? Well, she became, so she was uh, co-founded in 72 and by 74, she, she'd participated in over 300 that gender discrimination cases. Almost every wow. second day. Well, Yeah. And you'd have more Two than one at once. 300, 365 days, mm-hmm. one every second day. Mm-hmm. Crazy. Nuts. What the hell? Crazy odds. Among these cases was in 1973 when a woman working in the Air Force fell pregnant. She wanted to leave work for the appropriate amount of time to have the child and then give it up for adoption before returning to work. But they said, sorry, that's not an option. You can either abort the baby on the base because at that time they were allowed to perform abortions on uh like Air, Air Force bases and Army bases and military bases. There's um, such a weird... Okay, so you can perform an abortion as long as it's the name of America. Exactly. And if, but if not, the mother not, is in... Um, but not in the name, like, oh, yeah, fuck. Yeah. And otherwise, if she wanted to keep it, she was fired. And she ended up taking this to court and then it got into the hands of Ruth and... It inspired her to fight for the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment to better protect women's right to abortion. Unfortunately, that particular case never saw court because the Air Force just decided to waiver the woman's discharge. But, yeah, we'll get we'll get back to that a little bit later. Mm-hmm. In 1973, the Frontiero versus Richardson case, a woman newly out of college working in the Air Force wasn't getting paid a housing allowance like the men were. Um, when she went to ask about it, they told her she was just lucky to be allowed to serve at all. <gasps> And so she obviously filed a lawsuit, yep. took the case to the Supreme Court and Ruth took the case on and won, yep. which changed the constitution of benefits given to, given by the United States military to the family of service members. They can no longer be given out differently due to somebody's sex Good. or gender, yep. right? Ruth was also very, very, very intelligent, obviously, if we don't know that by now. Um, <laughs> and she she always knew that... Uh, I think we might have figured it out. <laughs> she may just be the smartest person ever. Um, but I'm talking about she was, very, she was smart, but she was very clever in the way that she did things. She knew she knew change wasn't going to happen overnight mm-hmm. and that everything wasn't going to change. Yeah. Like gender inequality, everyone wasn't just wake up one morning and be like, yeah. oh, this is unfair. Let's change everything. <laughs> yeah, Like that's not how it works. <laughs> It'd be a very different world if it worked that I way. Know, right? So she was very strategic and would take aim at specific discriminatory issues of limitation and then she would just build on each successive victory. And a big part of that was her choice of using the term on the basis of discrimination against gender rather than the discrimination against sex so that the focus of the judges was maintained on that. So it was just like little little tidbits. Yeah. So she would choose plaintiffs for her court that were right-minded as well. She understood yeah. the power of a good story. Oh, yeah. She also fought for discrimination against men. Okay. Mm-hmm. Tillis is buckling in. I'm like, oh, better be good. Mm-hmm. It is. 
Um, I mean, there obviously is discrimination against men. I just feel this time, but discrimination would be heavier on women than men. That's all. But I this is a meant. woman fighting for equality across both genders. Yeah, which so, is which is important. Which is what equality is. And so, in nine, in the nineteen seventy two case of Moritz versus Commissioner, she argued on behalf of a man named Charles Moritz, who was the sole caregiver for his elderly mother. He had been denied caregiver tax deductions because he was male. Oh, yep, and the deduct what? and the deduction was only valid for women. And then again in 1975, she fought for men's rights again in the Weinberger versus Weisenfeld case. So Stephen Weisenfeld had just lost his wife after she gave birth to their son. Mm -hmm. And he determined that he was going to be the sole caregiver of his his son. Mm -hmm. And he asked, he went and asked what benefits he could get being the sole caregiver. But he was told, sorry, that's a mother's benefit. And obviously he doesn't qualify because he has a penis. But he's a single parent. Yeah, but it was... But it was called the mother's benefit. Oh, dear God. Yes. So he wrote to the local paper. He got on the blower and he was like, yo, this this ain't right. Unfair. And that, this was a very, it's 1975. The women's rights movement is massive. Yeah. Yeah. Our girl, Gloria Steinem's on the, on the mic. Like it's all happening. So he actually wrote in and said, look, I know that you're hearing a lot about women's rights, but the men's inequality is, is also, it's happening. And well, it's also just, the biggest story is of women's inequality mm-hmm. because it's about the assumption that women will be the only one who will be required to give care. Exactly. Rather than that, that men would be required to step up. Exactly. It goes both ways. Yes. hundred percent. So he, Ruth in all of her intelligence obviously took on the case. And when it came to the Supreme court, the case resulted in a unanimous judgment in Weisenfeld's favor. She also challenged cases involving different drinking ages for men and women in Oklahoma Oh. Uh, she also... What, the men were younger than women or... Yeah. She also argued the validity of voluntary jury duty for women on the ground that participation of jury duty was a citizen's vital government service and therefore should not be optional for women. Yeah. Make it fair. If they've got to go, yeah. we've got to go. We have a right. They have a right. Yeah. Freedom. So wait, women weren't required. Women were not, like it was a choice. Whether or not you did jury duty. Yeah. I nearly had to do jury duty a few years ago. Actually, no, they didn't even get chosen. It was so, so you know how we get chosen? Yeah. yeah. They didn't, I don't even think they got chosen. How could you have a jury without women on it? Thank you. That's just fucking stupid. Thank you. Yeah. Imagine the judgments that would go. Okay. Yep. I think everyone gets it to listen to Talking to yourself. <laughs> she says that she felt like a kindergarten teacher sometimes when she was in front of the judges. Like they just didn't understand this concept of inequality. Mm. And she was like, okay. You have a wife? <laughs> you have a daughter? Yes. No, sir. You have a daughter? You have a granddaughter? Oh, even better. <laughs> Imagine if they weren't allowed to do these things. Oh, yes. Right, right. Okay. I guess I'll see it a bit more now. She was like, okay, cool, cool. I can't believe that happened. Well, I can. Anyways. I definitely can. It's sad. Mm-hmm. It's sad, but it's just like it's still – freaking annoying because that still happens there's all these men who are like oh i can't be a bad man or i can't be i have a a wife and a mother and it's like every single one of us has a mother Mm -hmm. like that doesn't Mm -hmm. you shouldn't have to be related to a woman to care about women no totally and they're like i understand because obviously i have a daughter and it's i was like no that's a human being who's a fuck you've got a daughter it's just i think it's just like it's perspective and people just yeah. Don't think about that until they are told to think about it. Like the marriage equality vote. Mm. It wasn't until I sat my dad down and went, 
you know your employee, Rian, who is an amazing lawyer as well, can I say? She wants to marry her girlfriend one day. Is it fair that she's not technically by law allowed to do that? No. Well, would you not want that to be the case for her? Yes. Well, then, then the answer's yes. <laughs> you just said yes. And he went, oh, right. Okay. Like it wasn't until... But why to don't, tie it to real but people. these are like... These are judges. These are people whose job mm-hmm. is to take in two different experiences, perspectives, mm-hmm. claims and judge them fairly. Mm-hmm. Like it's a literally their job to, to, to see that. Yeah. But there's a Which lot. so disappointing. There's I mean, a lot it still to happens, it. Obviously. It's not necessarily the personality trait of the said judge. It is the constitution that has been in place yeah. since yeah. Hamilton, mate. Since Hamilton. Oh, like, Hamilton, so many good, so many bad. Yeah, but like, and it's just like a lot of the time, and we'll get obviously get to this later, but a lot of the things that Ruth disagreed with was the amendment and the constitution that had been in place for centuries. Yeah. So, and people just don't want to change. People don't want to change something that's been a part of their country. <sighs> Let's change it up a bit and go to 1980. The hair's getting shoulder bigger. pads. The yep. shoulder pads are in. <laughs> yeah, there's fluoro everywhere. Yeah. And there's Ruth. Yeah. And if someone's listening, there's to a lot this, of synth music going on. <laughs> you could turn that into a synth yeah. remix. I'd be so happy. <laughs> so Ruth had a speed dealer sunnies on, and she was. <laughs> <laughs> Did she actually <laughs> the wraparound? She yeah. fully would have with the straps, so she could yeah. go real fast. She, she, po- she put yeah. on her. Leg yeah, warmers. I bet Ruth was a fast walker. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah, but she's tiny, isn't she? She's yeah, but she would have been like a little little uh, speed demon. Yeah, she, she, she would already mission. have to walk real freaking fast. <laughs> just she's so she tiny though, but she had her little leg warmers on and her sweatband, <laughs> her sweatband, and she was put on the bench in DC Woo-hoo. in the DC circuit, and this was after being nominated by President Jimmy Carter. Jimmy. And uh, during this time, she actually earned the reputation as a cautious jurist and a moderate. So okay. she was kind of like a keeping the peace, going with the majority. She's not quite a renegade. Yes. She's just, like I said, she's laying in wait. She was ready to attack. <laughs> she remained there until 1993. <gasps> great year. When she was then. Great year for your birth, but Ooh. also... Sorry to intrude. <laughs> was a great day, a great year for her because she was elevated to the U.S. Supreme oh. Court. <laughs> and that ding, ding, was ding. when President Bill Clinton was elected. Oh. Bill Clinton actually wanted Governor Andrew Cuomo, who is the current governor <gasps> yeah, of, of New, New York. York. He originally wanted him. And his whole spiel was, as in Bill's whole spiel, was that he wanted to make more diversity among the Supreme Court mm-hmm. judges because obviously there's nine. All white, all men. Classic. Classic. It's like the Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's what? problematic. They're all white and they're all men. The, the Fellowship, nine white men. And the same with the bad guys as well. They're, the that's fantasy so version. problems. If they just had more women, there'd be none of those war, the stupid mm-hmm, moments mm-hmm. in Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Um, they just get to eat second breakfast and have a great day. <laughs> second breakfast. <laughs> anyway, so Andrew Governor Camo. <laughs> Andrew Governor Kimono. Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Governor Andrew <laughs> Cuomo. Is it Cuomo? Cuomo. 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 Just so quick. Cuomo. Andrew Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> he actually rejected Bill's offer. He was like, sorry. No, I'm busy. Cuomo. <laughs> <laughs> I love us and hate us sometimes. <laughs> but I mostly love us. Mm-hmm. And around this time, uh, 
Ruth was in her early 60s and kind of the media and everyone was like, oh, she's a bit old. That classic women. Oh, she's getting old. Donald How Trump is president? like 73 or something, is The he? president's like 170. But with some help from our pal Marty. Oh, we love Marty. Marty was like, hold up. I'm sorry. What? Have you not met my, my girl Ruth? <laughs> she's not even going to get an, an, inter- an interview. I'm sorry. What? Got in his little file facts, went through his connections and was like, <laughs> all right. On the blower again. All right. Come on, people. Let's hook up Ruth with an interview. That helps her get an interview. Yes. Um, obviously, there was a lot more going on there. But it was basically Marty just like, hello, you know that picture? <laughs> you know that picture? <laughs> of Will Smith? Of Will Smith yes, on the red carpet. Yes, I knew exactly what you were going to say. Of, oh, yeah. of course. So the picture of Will Smith on the red carpet and Jada Pinkett Smith and he's just like presenting her. <laughs> yes. That is Marty the whole time. I love that. <laughs> So she ends up getting an interview with Mr. Clinton. In the documentary, he said he knew in the first few minutes that she had the job. He was oh, sold boom. pretty much straight away. And so she became the 107th Justice to the United States Supreme Court. Actually, I did say before that it was all men. There was actually one woman that was oh. in the Supreme mm. Court. So so she gets the gig. She's going to DC. Yay. Yep. Marty was very successful. He was a tax lawyer in New York, but he was like, nah, this is the gig. This is the gig of the life. We're going. So yeah. he packed up his bags and they went to Washington. They were interviewed and they were asked on what types of advice they give each other because obviously they're both in the law oh, yeah. field. And she, he said, she doesn't give me advice on cooking and I don't give her advice on the law. He was a fabulous cook. And for every justice's birthday, uh, he would make a cake. For the spouse's quarterly meetings, he was the chief caterer. Um, <laughs> What do I do? I have no talent in the kitchen at all. And her kids actually said that she was a terrible cook. <laughs> like she was so bad at cooking. Ruth's bad at cooking. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> and he would always literally have to physically go to her office and be like, come home for dinner. You have to eat at least once a day. <laughs> she was like, okay. Like he would actually rock up and drag her home. So Ruth was the second of two female justices on the panel of nine Supreme Court judges. The Supreme Court is like the big hotshot federal court of America where all the big decisions are made, mm-hmm. big high-profile high court cases. And her and Sandra Day O'Connor got to wear the big black robes made for men. Yep. So they both decided, we're going to spice this up a little bit yeah. with our collars mm-hmm. and um, all jabos, which are like the – traditional ruffly kind of oh the ruffle moment ruffle thing yeah Yeah. but they were like let's not stop at a ruffle moment let's go all out and obviously this has become an iconic part of rbg's luke Mm -hmm. um and she has a few different ones that she wears she's got her favorite ones and she's got ones that she wears for specific things (laughs) um i saw a little clip of that yeah so she got one um from some law clerks i think in 2014 and it's like a crocheted it's like a yellow and white crochet with like crystals in it. <laughs> and she wears that for when she's making a majority opinion. Uh, she's also got a, I think one of her favorites is this like lace beaded collar that she got as a gift from Cape Town. Cool. And my personal favorite is her don't fuck with me dissenting collar. I saw this one. Which is <laughs> this full on. black <laughs> and gold embroidered stoned like it almost looks like spiky. Like she could just walk yeah. in there with like one of those like biker gang spiked yeah. collars and Amazing. be like, what up? Sleevesless gloves. Like, and it's I'm on here. this tiny little old Jewish woman. Yeah, I'll show you. I want to you know? show you. I'm trying to find photos. I want to show oh you. Oh my one. God, these are so cool. 
So Justice Ginsburg took on a cautious approach to her adjudications at this time. She'd been characterised as a jurist who seeked to build cautiously on precedent rather than you know, yep. just pushing the constitution towards her own vision. Right. And like I said, she never argued. She also always said that she would never get arced up, even when very inappropriate things may have been said or things that she didn't believe in. She would just swallow it and use it for her power. Information is power in her pocket. Yeah. Come back, put a pin in it. I'll come back to that later and then build on it. I don't know how she did that. During her time there, there was a few more iconic cases that she now adjudicated. 1996, the United States versus Virginia. All male military college called VMI. It was a very prestigious school. I think it may have been the only all-male school left in America. A military college. Sorry. Guns and dicks. <laughs> <laughs> so in 1996, a female high school student wanted to go to this VMI. Mm-hmm. Okay. You maggot! College. <laughs> and obviously, a little, little bump in the road. Boobs were in the way. So she went to the district court, which then made its way to the Supreme Court. And it was really important because this was Ruth's first women's right case in the Supreme Court as a judge. Right. Yeah. Obviously, she took it on. Mm-hmm. And the following year, the first year of female cadets were enrolled at VMI. Guns for the girls. <laughs> yeah. And it was it's really cool. Very cool. Um, in 1999, she was diagnosed with colon cancer and underwent surgery, chemo and radiation. What year was mm. it? 1999. Wow. wow. Yep, yep, yep. But homegirl did not miss a day on the job. No. No, 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 no. In and out. Get it over and done with. Thank you. I've got places to be, people to see. <laughs> And the world to change, <laughs> if you don't mind. Um, after this, she, she was like, I'm not going to stuff around with my spare time. She actually got a personal what trainer. Spare time? <laughs> yeah, like, like there's like, before, she's got like, like two woman. seconds left in every day. She's she like, had about two and a half do? minutes to spare in her day. So she got a personal trainer. Oh my God. Love that. Yep. And she kept on doing, she kept on working with this personal trainer all the way up until pretty much, I would say about maybe this year or last year or early 80s. Um, because it says here that she had been training with a PT since 99 to literally build muscle. That's what she said after she mm-hmm. got cancer. Mm-hmm. And she was getting PT sessions all the way up to before her 80th birthday where she could still complete 20 push-ups in a session. Oh, my gosh. At 80 years old. I can't do one. Can't do one. And these aren't, you know, on your knees. Yeah. These are proper push-ups. Wow. And in this documentary, you just have to watch it, if not for her working out videos. She's wearing a jumper that says Super Diva on it. (laughs) (laughs) And she's got got weights and she's like pumping iron (laughs) in the gym. And then there's another part where he puts some like elastic bands. And again, she's like 80 years old here. Puts the like resistance bands. And she's pulling on the resistance bands. And she goes, it's a bit light. (gasps) He's just like, she's the best. <laughs> From now on, feet push-ups will be called RBG push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> That's what they're going to say at this, this VMI. 20 RBGs, now! <laughs> Drop and give me 20. 21. RBGs! <laughs> okay, so in 2006, Justice O'Connor, who of course is the other female on the bench, yes. she retired, okay. mm-hmm. um, which was kind of, there was obviously a shift in who was on the bench and it started to become a bit more conservative rather than liberal and it made her more common to dissent because she's basically like sticking to her guns. So dissent. The giant guns. Disagree. 
Dissent is to disagree. Okay. Yep. And uh, one of these cases where she did dissent and she became known for dissenting a lot, which was never her intention, but it was kind of. What choice does she have? Yeah, yeah exactly. And um, it, thank God she did for a lot of them. Um, in 2006, the Ledbetter versus Goodyear case, Lily Ledbetter was being paid 40% less than men at her work that did the same job. Yeah. But there's no pay gap. I just don't understand. Um, <laughs> so she took Goodyear to court, which ended up in the Supreme Court. Yeah. She was told she had filed her case too late, according to the law. <sighs> so it was something about if you don't realise until after your paycheck, it doesn't count. So like statutes of limitations. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's always a statute of limitations. She had filed her case too late, according to the law. Ruth dissented and called on Congress to amend and undo the court's decision with legislation. Yeah. This went on to change the bill entirely. Wow. Okay. And it was the first bill signed by Barack Obama, who was Woo-hoo. elected in 2009. Fun. Which is really cool. So the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act Wait, made what it. What year was this? Uh, 2009. So she was getting paid 40% less than her male colleagues in 2009. Yeah. Yes. While we were in the past, I said very calm. the nose out with the Breathe out. Breathe out. Breathe out. Go for a walk oh, if you need to. Do give it. Give us twenty RBGs. That'll that'll like get, <laughs> do a couple of RBGs. Get rid of some of those, you know, angry oh, energy. Dear. So the Lily Ledbetter Fair Pay Act made it easier for employees to win pay discrimination claims. Like up until that point, you couldn't even bark about it. Mm. Yeah, that's the whole point of the exercise. The RBG exercise. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It was around this time when she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Round two. Okay. Um, But of course, what do you need from me? Hurry up, sort it out and returned quickly back to work. Wow. She's busy. She's got things to do. Uh, In 2009, Ginsburg discussed her opinions on abortion rights and she said the government has no business making those choices for women. No. None. Here, she actually referred back to the 1973 Supreme Court decision Roe v. Wade, which is widely regarded as one of the most controversial Supreme Court rulings ever made. A woman wanted an abortion in 1969, but she lived in Texas where abortion was illegal, Mm -hmm. except when necessary to save the mother's life. A lawsuit was filed on her behalf in federal court challenging Texas's abortion laws. The Supreme Court issued a 7-2 decision ruling that it provides a right to privacy and protects a pregnant pregnant woman's right to choose whether or not to have an abortion. But it also ruled that this right is not absolute and must be balanced against the government's interests in protecting women's health and protecting parental life. So it's not really giving them a choice. No. Right? So the, the court resolved that the balancing test by tying state regulation of abortion to three trimesters of pregnancy during the first trimester, governments could not prohibit abortions at all. Okay. Mm-hmm. During the second trimester, governments could require reasonable health regulations. Mm-hmm. And during the third trimester, abortions could be prohibited entirely so long as the laws contained exceptions for cases when they were necessary to save the mother's life. And yeah. late-term abortion in Australia and in most parts of the world is only usually because to save the mother's life either to save the mother's life and all the pregnancy isn't viable um and the baby won't survive so it's not a common thing anyway and most abortions happen in the first trimester on average but obviously there are exceptions to every one of those things i just said yeah yeah so ruth criticized the decision of the court saying that terminating the developing democratic movement to liberalize abortion laws 
which might have built a more durable consensus in support of abortion rights. Um, in 2009, she also showed support for a case where a 13-year-old girl wanted to sue her school for conducting a strip search on her for drugs. 13-year-old girl. Yeah, not cool. Yuck. Disgusting. I hate to tell you both, but in 2010, after 56 years of marriage, Marty did pass away. Mm, that's really um, But he left her a letter and said, you are the one and only love of my life he's like making room for some you know offspring etc <laughs> but like i'm so lucky that i got to have it with you Aww, which is so simple but so, so effective heard i tell my dog that every night when i go to sleep <laughs> <laughs> as a result of marty's death she threw herself even more into her work if that's even possible um in spare time. i know in 2013 she became the first supreme court justice to officiate a same-sex wedding <gasps> oh cool! i know it was the marriage of kennedy center president michael laser and government economist john roberts good for those guys i know they sound very smart mm-hmm. <laughs> uh in 2013 and a pretty pivotal moment in getting us youngins on board if we weren't already the shelby county versus holder case so basically Without getting all humble jumble, it was to do with voting, right? Okay. And okay. how voting is conducted in states and how that votes are counted. Mm-hmm. And basically, long story short, she handed down a dissent to say that racial discrimination is still evident in voting. Oh, yep. Yep. Which then led to a rewriting of the Constitution. Ooh. So naturally, us youngins arced up and we were like, who is this legend being a legend? And that's when she got her gangster status. <laughs> and yep. she went viral she was dubbed a notorious RBG through a Tumblr account. I wonder if like Marty has been up there going, this is what I've been telling you. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Seriously? Guys. Like three years after I've gone and you're finally getting the fucking picture. <laughs> so her iconic nickname was started from Tumblr. Yes. Uh-huh. Our friendship was started from Tumblr. I knew you were going to say that. Was it really? <laughs> Pardon? Was it really? Yeah, so we, we, we sat bonded. next to each other first year uni. And they're like, if you've got a blog or a Tumblr account, it might help. And I was like, I have a Tumblr. Erin's like, oh, I have a Tumblr. And our first like conversation was literally us scrolling through our Tumblrs talking <laughs> about what we posted. <laughs> Sad but true. So cute. And it makes me feel better that the Notorious RBG Tumblr page just took See? off. And there was people like, you know, making merchandise and T-shirts. So and cool. well, She said that she tried to keep up with what was on the Tumblr. She That's did. What she, that was like a quote. I, I do try to keep up with what's on the Tumblr. Yeah, on, on, <laughs> on the line. On the um, Tumblr. I'm pretty yeah. sure she was even giving people the T-shirts of herself, like the notorious RBG <laughs> T-shirts. <laughs> I love it. Here, have a shirt. <laughs> In 2018, of course, no surprise here, she expressed her support for the Me Too movement, mm-hmm. um, yeah, reflected on her own experiences with gender discrimination and sexual harassment, um, including a time when she was at Cornell and a professor attempted to trade her exam answers for sex. I went to his office and I said, how dare you? And that was the end of the, the end of that. <laughs> <laughs> I assume you did quite well on that exam. (laughs) And when I deliberately made two mistakes. (laughs) She also had a little fall in her office. Well, it wasn't a little fall, but she had a fall in her office in 2018 and broke some ribs. Oh, God. And they detected more cancer. Oh, no. Um, Naturally, the world was like, we must protect her. (laughs) She needs to be put in a little bubble. Cotton wool. Cotton wool. Whatever she needs. Please, whatever she needs. Um... In 2015, and I know we were kind of briefly talking about this before, in 2015 during Obama's State of the Union address, she's seen nodding off 
like, <laughs> yeah. Cat nap is so awesome. She's just got so much. She's a busy <laughs> She's working tired. mom. Yeah. But the best part was her response. They said, what happened? We sit there stone-faced, the sober judges, but we're not, at least I wasn't, 100% sober because before we went to the State of the Union, <laughs> um, we, had, we had dinner together. When yep. you're tired and you have that one glass of Ooh, red, that'll do it. Yep. I am, I'm out. That'll do it. I'm out. The eyelids are like, <laughs> that's going to be the next one, you know. Are you okay? And I've just been beta Ginsberg. <laughs> <laughs> Fast forward to a great time in our lives when Trump was running for presidency. Mm. She, very out of character for her, because she's always been very, how do we say it? Not timid, but she's always been very reserved. Reserved. Very reserved. And she said out of character very publicly that he was a faker. Whoa. And she she made a public apology and said, look, judges should always avoid making any comments about candidates. Yeah. It just says a lot for someone like our RBG to live such a long life of being very she you can picture her doing she some like some she like she thinks about trump and she needs to do she like some angry some, push-ups she had george yes. w bush there's only so many right angry like, push-ups she you can do. do she had a lot of presidents it's not like she's had like the most amazing run of pre- and i'm not getting too political all i'm saying is it's been a range of different presidents. she had a lot of opportunities to she's crack spoken out about one yep and it's interesting because liberals were always publicly urging her to retire during obama's presidency because obviously he ran twice so Mm -hmm. he was there for a while and it was only because they knew that he would choose someone decent to replace her yeah they trusted his decision but she said that she would work until her health just allowed her as we know now our notorious rbg passed away on september 18 2020 A day before her passing, she was awarded the 2020 Liberty Medal by the National Constitution Centre. She will be buried next to her husband, Marty, in Mm. Virginia. The timing of this obviously is not ideal this close to the presidential election. Yep. And who gets to choose her replacement? Trumpy boy. Faker. Um, (laughs) Just days before her passing, Ruth dictated a statement saying her most fervent wish is that I will not be replaced until a new president is installed. So on that note, vote, 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 vote for Biden. Vote, vote. We're in Australia and the rest of the world is watching and we're watching helplessly and hopelessly yep. because there is nothing we can do. Yeah. The power is physically in your hands. Yeah. And we're only saying this because we know that we have a lot of American listeners. We have so many. So if you're listening. Yeah, we have more of you guys and than I we have Australian not... listeners and it's really weird, but you know, keep telling your friends. I can't <laughs> imagine that. I don't want to speak on behalf of American listeners, but I can't imagine you're listening to our bloody podcast and not wanting to make change. <laughs> right? I know. If you don't do it for America, do it for Ruth. Brings us to another episode of the Fierce Females of History podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying this episode, make sure you rate us. Scroll to the bottom of wherever you're listening, Spotify or iTunes, whatever, and give us a rating, whatever you think. Of five stars. (laughs) Leave a comment as well. It helps people find us, helps us get these stories out there. Also, if you're listening at the moment, take a screenshot, share it to your story on Instagram. Again, people need to hear about RBG. This is your chance to get her story out there. Hell yeah. And you can contact us on Instagram at Fierce Females Podcast, Facebook, Fierce Females of History, or... Get on the Tumblr <laughs> and tell us all of the things 
that you love about RBG on the Tumblr. <laughs> T-U-M-B-L-R for all of our older <laughs> listeners. And probably also our younger listeners who are like, what the hell is yeah, a Tumblr? Yeah, there's a very niche middle ground of <laughs> listeners who know what Tumblr is. Yeah. Like, well, done. Yeah. Done. Cool. Awesome. And done. And safe.